Turner screen, Stuckey drives, right side wing, flips it up and off. There to rebound and lay it in with the left hand is George. Hello and welcome into another Sideline Guys podcast. I'm Pat Boylan, Pacers radio host and sideline reporter. As always, Jeremiah Johnson, TV host and sideline reporter, joins us. We're taping here on Thursday afternoon. A handful of hours after the Pacers fell to the Cleveland Cavaliers, it ended their seven-game winning streak. And I'm curious, just your general thoughts here. I tried to get the mood of this in the locker room last night. And doing this is always tough coming off a loss because that's immediately what's in everybody's head. And, and it should be, uh, you know, uh, a scene of disappointment in there. Uh, but but in general, you've won seven of eight. This is the defending champs. It was a really bad third quarter, but personally, I'm I'm not too down on 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 one game, especially when it's Cleveland. I completely agree with you. I was driving home, and there were games earlier this season, thinking about the loss to Phoenix, a couple of Celtics losses, and some other uh, maybe trips home from road trips where they did not go the Pacers' way. And I thought, you know, I don't know if this team's going to get it together. And after last night's game, you know, I saw a lot of things I really liked. And what I saw was an elite team in Cleveland that if you'd have played them maybe two or three weeks ago, the Pacers win that game. Uh, but LeBron James had his little wake-up call, and everybody's healthy now. They've had different times over the last month where one member of the Big Three has missed some time. And if you take any one of those key players away from that team, it's a different team. Now, obviously, J.R. Smith is not playing. Iman Shepard did not play. So that still was not a full-strength Cavs team. Uh, but the way they played in the second half, I don't, I'd don't. i have a hard time thinking very many people would beat them if they played an entire game like they did in the second half. So the Pacers started that game strong. They were aggressive early on. They had a 15-point lead at one point. They led by 11 late in the second quarter. And I think some key stretches there in the final two minutes of the second quarter. I don't agree with the goaltending call on Miles Turner. And then a couple of lapses defensively. And all of a sudden, it's a six-point halftime deficit. And, you know, you had a chance if you were able to get a 20-point lead maybe in the third or fourth, early fourth quarter where – the Cavs might have just thrown in the towel. Instead, it went the other way, and they came out with a six-point deficit at the start of the third, and they took over in the third quarter. And obviously, uh, the Cavs get the 15-point win. But I saw a lot of things that I really liked. The offense was really good. Uh, I mean, when you get C.J. Miles playing the way he did, Jeff Teague with 22-14. and 14. Paul George was very efficient, I thought, 9-19. for 19. Not a great game, but given the fact that he was trying to guard LeBron James as well, I'd say he played pretty well, and Monte Ellis had a good performance. So we may go individually about some guys and a long-winded answer to your question, but I'm not disappointed. They've won seven of eight now. We knew with this schedule coming up, they weren't going to win every game. I think it's it's funny to read Twitter sometimes after a loss, and I mean, it, the ebbs and flows, and people react somehow to every loss like you've got to make wholesale changes, and it's crazy. You play 82, you're gonna lose. you're going to lose some of them, and that's one that I don't feel that badly about. Yeah, the, the game last night, anytime you play a team with the pedigree that Cleveland has, you tend to get what I think is a general overreaction to the result. Um, if, if you win last night against Cleveland, it's a really good win, but it doesn't mean the Pacers have arrived. They would have had eight in a row and they would have beaten Cleveland, but it doesn't mean they've arrived and all of a sudden they're ready you know, to be a, a, a top contender in the East. We certainly hope they can get there and think it's possible. Uh, but it is. It's just one game. You win it, and it's easy to overreact. You lose it, and it's easy to overreact. Uh, I, I think about the fact that we were doing uh, 
a podcast two weeks ago today, right? Actually, about this time we were doing a podcast two weeks ago. The Pacers had just lost three in a row. And since we were doing that podcast, they've only lost one time in two weeks, and we've done a podcast in between that. So, yeah, I, I think general optimism. I thought Chris Denary had um, maybe the, tw- the tweet that I thought stood out the most. He made the comment that um, he said, what a performance by the Cavs trying to figure out how they need more help, which two weeks ago, coincidentally, we were talking about that too. LeBron James made that comment about how they need more help and how he's getting older. You watch the Cavs last night, and, and it's, it's hard uh, you know, to remember. I, th- I think Michael Grady tweeted out you know, the difference between the two teams' salaries with the Cavs going way into the luxury tax. And it is. It's hard to figure out how they need more help. They're the defending champs. They're winning the Eastern Conference. Yeah, they had a struggle in January, but uh, it's a really, really, really good team, and it's going to take an, an unbelievable performance or an injury for somebody in the Eastern Conference to beat them. And they will get more help when J.R. Smith comes back and plays. And I had a similar tweet. I guess it wasn't that original of a thought because when I got home, I tweeted one thought while driving home. I think I side with Barkley in the recent LBJ spat. The Cavs look like they had enough playmakers tonight. So I, you know, I think sometimes Charles makes some comments and we already went in depth in this, so we don't need to spend more time. But I kind of don't get where LeBron's coming from. But if you think about over his career, there are always these January moments where Maybe it's his way of getting everyone to focus a little bit, and I can't argue with the results that he's had over his career because <laughs> almost I mean every year they're in the finals. So um, maybe he got everybody to focus a little bit, and the Pacers maybe played them at the wrong time just after their turmoil. Yeah, and, and when you give up 132 points in a game, you're not going to win. The second half, the Pacers gave up 75 points. And, and you're talking about a second half where the last two games, that's where the Pacers had won. Against Detroit, Indiana holds the Pistons to 26 second-half points. That's a mind-boggling number. And shooting 30%. They hold Oklahoma City under 40 and win the game in the second half with their defense. And and it was the third quarter that killed Indiana. And, and you know, I'm... Not someone who says, you know, you take the third quarter out and you look at the score. You can't do that because the fourth quarter is played differently if the third quarter isn't 40-18. to 18. But the third quarter uh, was 40-18, to 18, and that was a major problem. But I think back to your point, it, 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 uh, last night losing you know, and having the Cavs have their moment of greatness there in the third, um, this, it stole the storyline a little bit away from a couple of really good performances. I mean, I mean, Jeff Teague, it seems like we talk about him every single podcast with more and more impressiveness. He impresses us each more and more each week. And yet last night, you know, he is 22 and 14 and he and Kyrie were putting on really a show and granted Teague struggled to guard Kyrie, but Kyrie struggled to guard Teague. And uh, 14 assists for Teague, 22 points. I mean, the the guys putting up numbers, you're starting to get to the point, at least for me personally, and I was a huge fan of the Jeff Teague trade because I like Teague a lot. I like his game, and I thought Indiana really needed his skill set. You're starting to get to the point where he's exceeding expectations on, at least in my opinion, on what was already a really solid career, a career that had him in an all-star game. We've been in our positions for three years, four years or so, do you remember very many 14 assist games? Uh, 
before this season uh, in the in the recent history. I mean, we would have we would have been leading our Pacers live pregame the next night saying somebody had 14 assists and we almost are just expecting it now, which is a credit to what Jeff Teague is doing because I thought he was playing great and I remember those moments last night when it was back and forth with Kyrie and Jeff and how much fun that was. And I almost didn't even realize as it was happening that he had the 14 assists. So I think you've got to give him a lot of credit. And I really think, you know, teams let up when they have big leads. So you could say the Cavs maybe let up a little in the fourth quarter. But, you know, this is a 20-point deficit in the middle of the fourth quarter. And I did the uh, usually about the under nine timeout at the fourth quarter on home games. We'll do a quick update with Eddie Gill, and it'll be a way to get you know, another person's thoughts on what he's seeing, uh, maybe give Quinn and Chris a little bit of a break coming out of that timeout, and also to tease ahead to what we'll have in our Pacers Live post game. And at that point, I think it was a 19-point deficit. And while I said, oh, there's plenty of time left, what do the Pacers have to do to get back into the game? I'm not sure that I really believed that there was enough time. And, and what do you know? It's a seven-point game with about four minutes to play. And at that point, you do have a chance. And I, I really was impressed with the fight. There are going to be fans who are disappointed with any loss that are going to say that we're sugarcoating and that, you know, well, you know, there, there are no such thing as moral victories. But I saw a number of things that I was really impressed with. And I think the one overriding theme that Nate McMillan had after the game that everyone in that locker room needs to understand is they maybe had points in games in that seven-game winning streak where they had lulls and lapses, much like they did earlier in the season. In the winning streak, the lulls were not as long. They were able to quickly get it back going and take advantage partially because of maybe some inferior opponents, notwithstanding the Rockets and the Thunder. Against the Cavs, you really can't afford any lulls. And then you have to really pounce when the big three guys are not on the floor. And I think that's what's really interesting to watch about the Cavs moving forward. And I thought it was a fascinating subplot in that game was the way LeBron James started the second quarters and not having watched them all season to know when he takes his rest. But both times I was in the Pacers huddle and it seemed like Paul was going to get his customary early second quarter, early fourth quarter breaks. And then they realized that LeBron James was on the floor and and maybe they knew it already, um, but it was just maybe that Paul's not used to playing at that time. And then Paul had to go in the game. And if you play LeBron 38 minutes in a game, you've won by 15. Now, the, the outcome was in doubt till about two minutes to play, but you can't just keep doing that, in my opinion. And he'll probably, he'll, he'll probably not play against the Thunder. But I, I do think it's interesting when LeBron James is not on the floor, that's when you really have to pounce. But there just weren't that many opportunities when he was not on the floor last night. Yeah, and I, I go back to something that Frank Vogel would often say, you know, how just how important who you played and when you played them was. And again, not to sugarcoat a loss. I don't mean to do that. But I'm sure there were points during the seven-game winning streak when the Pacers were playing a little bit of lesser competition when they played worse than they did last night. It just so happened they ran up against a Cavs team that's starting to catch some fires. So I think you have to, if you take a step back, you realize, you know, you win that Brooklyn game, but you have a stretch in there where you you lose a 19-point lead, but you win it. And, And that's obviously what's most important. You have a Cleveland game where yet the offense plays really well for four quarters. The defense struggled in the second half. But I, I think you have to take the opponent into consideration. While, while you were talking, I, I looked up that 14 assist stat. And uh, Jeff Teague's done it four times this year. You have to go back to Jamal Tinsley in 2007 to find the previous one. So it had almost been 10 years since a Pacer had done it. 
Jeff Teague's done it four times this year. Tinsley did it a, a, a lot of times. Jackson did it a lot of times. But but Teague is in a bit of uncharted territory, at least how well he's playing and any recent memory of, of Pacers players. You have to go back to Tinsley. Anthony Johnson did it once. Jalen Rose did it once. But otherwise, this list is is literally Tinsley and Jackson, and unless you want to go back before the 1990s, so that's how that's how solid Jeff Teague is playing. I wanted to get a little bit into the discussion of Thaddeus Young, Lavoy Allen. It, there's a couple interesting storylines with that. First of all, you obviously miss a guy like that. You miss his scoring. You miss his versatility. When a team plays small like Cleveland does, Thad Young is you know much better suited to defend that, and I think. We saw at times the Pacers missing Thaddeus Young, but Lavoy Allen. It's it's. I've had this conversation with a few people. It, this is not the same Lavoy Allen at the beginning of the season, and there were stretches, especially in that first quarter. And and you know Lavoy didn't have a monstrous game by any means, but there were stretches in that first quarter where he was battling harder than any other player on the floor for rebounds. He was getting offensive rebounds. He was helping on the glass. The Pacers were really good on the glass in the first half, and then struggled in the second half. Uh, but but having that presence with Lavoy Allen out there and another and having a, a good rebounder when he's playing like he is, you know we've talked about this a thousand times. But the Pacers have struggled for the most part on the glass this season, and when Lavoy's playing like that, he's the Pacers' best rebounder, and I think is certainly deserving of of playing time. You know, Pat, there's some give and take and everything with with every matchup because. Maybe with the exception of a guy like LeBron James, there are very few players that are just really good in every facet of the game. And so when you have LeVoy on the floor, what you need is his rebounding because there are going to be some other things that, that maybe he's not as good at, especially in a matchup when a team plays small. But the offensive rebounding is something that, uh, you know, that was key in the first half for the Pacers building that lead. They had seven offensive rebounds in the first half. And What's probably frustrating is that they finished with seven. So they got some second-chance opportunities in the first half, had nine of those, but they finished the game uh, with just 11. So, you know, obviously they were able to corral an extra possession out of out of something somewhere along the lines. But Lavoy had 6.5 rebounds at the end of the first quarter. I mean, that was one of my overriding takeaways from the first quarter is what a difference Lavoy Allen is continuing to make. But then Cleveland found some way to exploit him a little bit and some of the defensive issues, and there's no one that really plays like Thaddeus on this roster. You could say maybe with the exception of C.J. Miles, who played some of the backup four, and he doesn't play like Thaddeus, but he can fill that spot. And then you'd have to go to probably George Niang, who's just not quite ready to play in these moments against people like that. So that's why Thaddeus is so important. I like what Lavoie's bringing, and so moving forward, if Lavoie can bring that energy and have that confidence, even knocking down some outside shots... Lavoie was three for six from the field, but I, I liked his confidence from that 18-foot jumper. Uh, he was knocking him down, and he's been knocking him down. It's a nice piece to have, and you know you may have a game where he doesn't match up as well, and you may have a game you need him, even when Thaddeus Young is healthy. So if nothing else, over this last couple of weeks, I think that you have a confident contributor in Lavoie Allen that you can utilize moving forward when the opportunity presents itself. Last night, we got, I think, my favorite matchup that I've ever seen in, I say ever, and then say three years, in my three years here, and it only lasted for like three minutes, and I think both coaches got a little bit spooked out of it and went away from it, 
But how fascinating was uh, was Al Jefferson on Channing Frye? I mean, the pacer Channing Frye would be against Al Jefferson, and and like Demarcus Cousins struggles to guard Al Jefferson, Anthony Davis struggles to guard Al Jefferson on the defensive end. You put Channing Frye out there; it was a massive mismatch, and Jefferson worked Frye. But then on the other end, you've got Big Al trying to guard the three-point line. That was it was only a few minutes, but. Watching that matchup really stuck out to me, and, and both coaches went away from it, and I understand why. And you don't, it, it, for some reason, it seems worse when you're getting beaten on a mismatch than when you're beating the other team on a mismatch. Uh, but that's, you know, Al is, Al is an old school type of player, and is, you know, you, we had uh, the, your pregame, on the pregame show, Eddie Gill describing how Al Jefferson is so effective. Uh, I really enjoyed watching the uh, mismatch that was Jefferson versus Channing Frye, even if it was only three minutes. And that was a, you know, a bad thing for the Pacers that because of the way that game was being played, that he could only play three minutes. And his points per minute average continues to increase because he had five points in three minutes. But I like to see games that you get, you know, some contributions from Al Jefferson. You're able to keep him on the floor, and those spread teams do create some issues. And speaking of spread, I. I think that I have nightmares about Kyle Korver, and there was maybe a couple of games late in the Hawks' time. Maybe he didn't have great games, but by and large, it just seems like he knocks down shots. He never misses against the Pacers, and to have him come off the bench and hit eight of nine from three-point land, I mean, what a weapon that is. And and really, he, he took control of the game and turned the game on a couple of different occasions. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, I think... Uh... I think some some team should just in in like China or something should just pay Kyle Korver an exorbitant amount of money and then to get him out of the NBA and the Pacers never have to face him. <laughs> so the Pacers China affiliate could maybe <laughs> right, uh, pick, right. pick up Korver to help them out. <laughs> uh, let Let's look at our. It's not a pick three this week. It's a pick four, but with. Saturday night's game against the Milwaukee Bucks, it's honoring the 90s decade. Maybe of all of these decades, uh, the one the fans are looking forward to the most. I think personally the one I'm looking forward to most. And looking forward to it so much that we're moving pick three to pick four. Well, pick fours, and back when we originated with the pick three, we discussed the fact that came came from horse racing, and there are other people who do similar things like that. But you can do a pick four in horse racing as well. You can actually do a pick six, and we probably could easily fill six topics in uh, what we're going to talk about with our favorite memories of the 90s. But we'll go with the pick four, so we're each allowed um, two of our own specific stories and memories of the 90s. But just to, you know, before we start here, I think about the 90s Pacers, and I think about that's when I you know really fell in love with the NBA. And in the 1980s, I was into high school basketball, and I watched I watched IU a lot because my dad was a big Bobby Knight fan, obviously, and an IU fan, and I became then an IU fan, and I can remember, you know, pounding the floor when Keith Smart hit the game-winning shot, but the 90s are when I think that I really started to pay attention more to the NBA, and how could you not, given the excitement that they, they generated, and so many of those playoff series, I mean... I think about May in the summer in Indianapolis, and I just think about playoff basketball, and it was always something to look forward to, those playoff series. There's really nothing like it. I love the uh, regular season, and I love every, you know, the twists and turns it seems like we see during the regular season, but the playoffs are on another level, and with each best-of-five series or best-of-seven series, now they're all best-of-seven, but back in the day, they were best-of-five. There's so much drama, so many storylines, 
And that's where I just, you know, fell in love with the Pacers and the NBA. And so it's great to look back on some of these memories. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I was born in 1990, and it's funny because I'll be in in some of these meetings that we have about digital content. And by the way, to preview some of this, there's some really cool 90s-related things that both Pacers.com and Pacers on social media are going to be rolling out today, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for this game. A, A lot of creative things coming out that I think the fan is really going to enjoy. And we're in these meetings, and they're brainstorming meetings, and you know, they're thinking back to, um, you know, what do people remember in the 90s? And people, you know, some of the people in the meeting are making the comments, you know, well, a lot of people that's, you know, they were younger in the 90s. We've got a generation now that's in their 20s, 30s that remembers the Pacers growing up. And I'm just kind of sitting there like, yeah, I'm your I'm your test market. I'm your guy. I was born in, in, in 1990. Uh, so... You know, I was a little young for the great moments of the early 90s, but my first sports memory, you know, I was, uh, my family's Colts season ticket holders. I grew up going, you know, to four or five Colts games a year, but my first sports memories aren't Colts. They're Pacers, they're Reggie, those 90s teams. And it's funny, you know, those those early 90s teams I was a little young for, but I do remember, I, I remember it being a big deal, but I don't remember specifics, but it's when you get into the late 90s, and uh, by the way, for for the 90s decade, all intents and purposes, the 2000 finals year counts in the 90s because the season started in 1999, so for me, those late 90s memories stick out much more vividly, and so my, fir- my first pick is uh, going to 1998. I would have been uh, not even eight yet. I would have been seven. And uh, it was the second to last year for Market Square Arena. And the Pacers beat the Knicks in game five, 99-88. You re- as, as a kid, you remember odd things. Like now you, you go to games and, oh, you remember the big plays and, and the things that stick out. But as a kid, you remember odd things. And I remember 99-88. And, and as a seven-year-old, it was interesting to me that, Nine nine eight eight. Just the simplicity of the score being how it was, and and but that's that's I've always remembered that that final game that pushed the Pacers past the Knicks to play the Bulls. Not yet, of course, Indiana going to the finals, but I I've remembered that score since I've been seven. I don't remember really much about Market Square Arena, but I remember that score and that game, and of course that's still in the heat of of Pacers and Knicks rivalry, and to be there. That that's one of my first basketball memories, at least in person. May thirteenth, uh, nineteen ninety eight, Pacers ninety nine, Knicks eighty eight, Indiana going on to play the Bulls, and I remember this big chant sweeping around Market Square Arena: "We want the Bulls, we want the Bulls," and uh, and, and the Pacers, you know, took Chicago to seven in that series right after the fact. But I remember very vividly a lot of those moments, even though I was only seven of being inside Market Square Arena in a big moment like that where the Pacers took the series against New York. Yeah, there are so many moments. And it, like you, there are some that I have to just refresh my memory just a little bit to remember exactly what I remember about those specific games and, and when did the rivalry start with the Knicks. And I think back to, you know, hey, I wanted to go to a playoff game. I wanted to experience what that was all about. And so I went to the first Knicks-Pacers playoff game, the 1993 season. They were playing in the first round, and the Pacers had lost 
two games at New York, and it was a best-of-five series, so the Pacers were facing elimination. And at that time, um, just some background, I had been fortunate enough to go in 1990 with my dad to a uh, National League Championship Series game in Cincinnati because I got on the phone and I dialed uh, Ticketmaster like 500 times one morning when tickets went on sale. And when I was told, hey, we've got to go, last chance, all of a sudden I got through. So we got League Championship Series or NLCS tickets um, and so I went to the game six when the Pacers, or when the Pacers, when the Reds beat the Pirates. And from that point on, I was into these big time atmospheres. Well, playoff tickets, obviously harder to come by. But after a baseball practice, we decided to drive down and see if we could scalp tickets uh, for this game three of this first round playoff series. And maybe the enthusiasm had waned just a little bit because the Pacers lost the first two games. And so we literally got to the arena about 10 minutes uh, before game time, got a parking spot, there was a scalper on the street that we found, and basically he was ready to, you know, he was worried about not getting his tickets sold. And I think we actually got to him about the time the game tipped off, and so he was getting a little anxious and nervous. And and we got tickets for less than face value, and then we looked at him, and we were about 15 rows up, and it was amazing. We walk in, and the game had started, but then I looked down, and Spike Lee is sitting, you know, on the front row, and we got, could kind of see where he was at. And so just being in there, and then the Pacers won that game. 116.93, and I had to go back and look up some of the details because I, you know, you can't necessarily remember everything. But then it did remind me of what happened in that game was John Starks got ejected. <laughs> I mean, and that sort of, if you look at it, and I just uh, found an old article on in the Chicago Tribune, I think, or just what what came up with Google, and it's Doc Rivers who's talking about Reggie Miller, and he says Reggie talks a lot. You just got to learn to turn your head, and and John Starks gets ejected. Um, that was the headbutt game. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm refreshing my memory a little bit, but the first time I was ever able to experience a playoff game and to be there, that that sticks out as a big memory. And the Pacers would go on um, to lose the next game in overtime, and they lost that first-round series. And there would be many more great Pacers-Knicks games to come, uh, but that's one that uh, stands out to me. And everyone kind of remembers where they are in big moments. And one of the things we're going to be asking the fans to do is tell us where you were in those moments that you remember in the 90s the most. And again, the 2000s counting in this because the season uh, was started in 1999. And for me, and again, some of this is age, uh, that, that one of the moments that sticks out the most to me, and, and I need to go back and ask my parents why we did this because it, it really doesn't make, had I been older, we would not have done what we did here for this moment that I'm about to explain. When the Pacers finally, again, both my memories are beating the Knicks, uh, on the road to go to the NBA Finals in 2000, and we were at Victory Field. We we bought these uh, five-game packages, you know, over the summer. Uh, it's kind of how I got into baseball, and Car I'm a Cardinals fan, but, you know, the Indians are close by. <clears throat> it's a good thing to do for families with young kids, and, and so we always bought this five-game ticket package, and, and it just so happened to be on this game, you know, where the Pacers advanced to the NBA Finals. And, and had I been a few years older, I would have been like, listen, Mom and Dad, we're not going to Victory Field during uh, the game where the Pacers could potentially be going to the NBA Finals. But we did. And I remember standing up there uh, with my brothers, who were both younger than I. I would have been, uh, let's see, not even 10 yet. So brothers would have been like 7 and 5. And we stood up in the aisleway, and there was just gigantic crowds around. I mean, you think about a 1999 TV. It's small, and it's square. 
these TVs that they had in the aisleways at Victory Field, which of course were showing the Pacers game, and there were more people in the aisles watching the game than there were actually watching the Indians game. So I remember being at Victory Field when the Pacers finally got to the uh, the NBA Finals, and it, it's again, it was you know 16, 17 years ago now, but something that sticks out very vividly to me is celebrating with a bunch of fans at a baseball game for a basketball game. And uh, it, one of the weirdest spots, I guess, that you could watch a big moment uh, in one of your team's histories. But I, but I vividly remember being at, um, at Victory Field for that big Pacers moment. All right, so if, since it's the pick four, I get the final uh, selection. And it would be easy for either one of us to say eight points, nine seconds. And that's one of those plays where I think we discussed a little bit this prior to starting the podcast. I remember more about it, and I know more about it, I think, after the fact than when I actually saw it. I'm not 100% of it being of one of those I-remember-where-I-was moment, because let's be honest. I mean, at that point, you know, for me, and for you, you were much younger, but for me, much of the 90s, I was either in high school or college, and maybe not every play, you don't know when a great moment is going to happen. So I don't specifically remember where I was when 8.9 seconds happened, but I think I remember hearing about it after the fact. And then <laughs> how many times could you read about it and make a 30 for 30 that is sort of based around it? There's a blog, 8.9 seconds, that does a great job covering the Pacers as well. So I'll, I'll, st- I'll stay away from that one and just say that as much as I liked Pacers-Knicks games, I'm not sure that I looked forward to any more matchups than Pacers-Bulls. And, and they did not play in the playoffs, but just the one time. And you referenced when the Pacers beat the Knicks to then go play the Bulls in that Eastern Conference Finals series. I'll always remember watching Reggie push off on Michael Jordan, hit the shot, and then go spinning around. And I don't know if I even remember the spin celebration as much as I do the push off because that was just one of those moments of sheer joy. And it's much like a broadcaster who, and I heard a little bit of your uh, podcast conversation with Mark Boyle that you don't know what you're going to say or what you're going to do and you can't always plan it out. That was an unreggie-like celebration, and I don't know that I've ever thought to jump around and keep spinning, uh, but that's what he did, and that that was just that sh- that moment of excitement that I kind of will always remember is Game 4 Eastern Conference Finals. He hits the shot against Jordan, and at that point, the series then becomes tied at two, and you think, maybe the Pacers can beat the Bulls, and the series went seven, and I don't remember all of the details about the Game 7, but... You know, the Pacers had a chance to beat the Bulls in the playoffs. Then that would have been, you know, the best moment of all. And instead, it was you have to go back to the game four win and you don't win the series. So maybe it's bittersweet a little bit. But that particular moment is uh, the other one that I'll go with in this pick four. And then I just wanted to say just a general thought, you know, it was awesome. And I, I look forward to this Pacers team putting together more runs and seeing how it can captivate the fans in central Indiana. But You know, I lived in Peru, and then I went to school in Ball State, and there were a lot of times that I didn't have tickets for a game, but if I didn't have something to do, even when I was a junior and senior in high school and then times in college, we just went to Indianapolis, and we just went to revel a little bit in sort of the excitement, because before or after games, there was such a buzz, and if the weather was great, they're just, it's awesome playoff time, especially when you get past the first round, you get into the second round, and you get into the conference finals, and you know, if it should happen in June, it could be even better. And so I look forward to seeing some of those moments, seeing the Pacers captivate the fans once again. But I just remember, as much as anything, 
going down to a particular you know restaurant, having dinner, and then watching the game and high-fiving people and being around when the game ended. So um, that, as much as anything, is what I remember about the 90s. Yeah, that, that Bulls game, that, that Reggie shot, obviously, is, is one that sticks out for me as well. And the thing that gets overlooked, I think, sometimes and uh, is, is the fact that Jordan almost followed that up with a game winner. If I remember right, like Jordan had a shot to win that was halfway down and, and came out. And then maybe you don't even remember Reggie's shot in, in, in such a great memory. So, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was a, obviously a fantastic moment. And, uh, and, and one of those handful where you certainly remember where you are moments, um, in Pacers 1990s history. Again, there are, there are still, the game is almost sold out, but there are still tickets available uh, Pacers.com slash tickets. It's a Reggie Miller bobblehead giveaway. Indiana celebrates the 1990s here coming up on Saturday. Let's look forward to the next couple of games now as we wrap up uh, this edition of the podcast. Uh, Paul had some interesting quotes, I thought, in the locker room afterwards saying that he felt this game at Friday against Washington is a little bit of a gut check game. He said if we're on the track, I'm paraphrasing, but if we're on you know, the path of being who we think we are, that this game against Washington is a bit of a gut check game, and it's going to be very difficult. The Wizards play at home as well as just about anybody in the NBA. They're very hot, even though they they lost to Cleveland on Monday, but Washington in general is playing really well, and they defend their home court as as well as anybody, and I think have been a bit of a surprise this year on just how well they've played. Maybe it is a gut check for Indiana, but the uh, task stands tall here on Friday. Yeah, think about Washington and what they've been able to do since getting off to the slow start this season. And I think that they're tied right now with Toronto for the third best record in the Eastern Conference. And if they do not have any new injuries, I think they're a top four team in the East. And and I think maybe that the Pacers are in a position where maybe they can battle the Raptors and Hawks if they, you know, have their sights set on possibly getting a top four seed as well. So I I respect the way that Wall and Beal have been able to work together and complement each other. They had won 17 straight home games, so it'll be difficult. And I think so many times a Pacers-Wizards game, it's a pretty good game. We've had some uh, some pretty memorable moments in games against the Wizards over the course of the last you know four or five years. Of course, there was that Eastern Conference semifinal playoff series. You had the uh, East Coast Splash Brothers game last season as well, and and then you had Thaddeus Young with the game winner with .8 seconds to play earlier this season at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. So it should be a it should be a really entertaining game, and I'm interested to see how the Pacers respond. And that's the good the good part about this schedule really is it's almost like a little bit of a playoff feel in that there are no letdowns, there are no chances where you can let up. You've got to bring it every night, and I think that does help this team because human nature takes over a little bit in January and in February and. Sometimes, even though you don't try to, you look at the records and you maybe relax a little bit in a particular game. The Pacers know they can't relax in any of those those games, and I think that helps them. And so many of them are at home, but the two road games will be really challenging here before the All-Star break at Washington and then next week at Cleveland. And I look forward to seeing if the Pacers can have that road mindset that they have brought the last three road games. The Wizards are 31 and 21, and they started the year two and eight. That tells you all you need to know. They're 29 and 13 since starting the year two and eight. You know that's right up there with the elite teams in the NBA. That's how well they're playing. They won against Brooklyn on Wednesday night. It took overtime to do it, but finding a way to win has kind of been their mo as the season has progressed. They've gotten better. 
Wall and Beal, of course, are a fantastic backcourt. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, uh, Jeremiah, last night, Wednesday night, Jan Mahimi played 12 minutes. He, uh, of course, had played one game and got hurt. He came back, played one game, got hurt, and uh, has been out for 50 of the 51 games to start the season, the former Pacers center. You got to talk to him, I know, briefly when you guys were out in Washington. Uh, of course, one of my favorite ex-Pacers, and really good to see him. He played 12 minutes, scored two points, had five rebounds. So not a, you know, it didn't light up the box score by any means. But the former Pacers center finally, knock on wood, appears to be healthy. Yeah, we certainly uh, have a fondness for Jan for all that he did for the Pacers and all the, you know, the guy he was on and off the floor. And you can't help but hurt for him with getting this new contract and then not being able to perform and really even play at all. So when yesterday during the game, at one point I went to ask you a question, and I saw you had Jan Mahinmi articles up on your laptop. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? You know, because I hadn't seen that news as well. So it will be interesting to see how he comes back after that game and if he's able to play on Friday. Another reason to watch Fox Sports Indiana on Friday night. Yeah, as much as I like Jan, I don't just regularly like Google him out of the blue. I, <laughs> there, there was some timeliness. The good news <laughs> is your computer is working now because Jan's not here anymore to spray chalk dust all over it. Right, right, yeah. So uh, we'll see. The, the All right, speaking of your computer and your Twitter account, we've gone almost 35, 40 minutes and we haven't referenced any of our rival podcasts. And um, you know, <laughs> I was going to let you take the charge if you wanted to. <laughs> No, I appreciate you sticking up for me. Uh, maybe you could, for those that aren't aware, our friends at the Miller Time Podcast who have been um, doing their thing for much longer than we have. I think I checked yesterday. They had recently podcast number 174. So wow. I have to give those guys credit for all they've uh, done and how long they've been doing it. Uh, but apparently they didn't like my uh, sport coat shirt tie combination in Orlando last week. And, you know... I've been known to have people take a few shots at Twitter every once in a while. It's not I'm not quite on the uh, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Kimmel mean tweets level in terms of you know getting people to criticize where it's that big of a deal. Maybe it was about two or three years ago, and we won't go into those details. But I don't get too many negative tweets anymore. And when I do, I try to uh, you know kill them with kindness in my responses. And but but my podcast partner Pat came strong. <laughs> I came swinging. Yeah. So I'm glad to know that you've got my back, but then it's good to know, too, we should clear the air a little bit. I, I don't think there's any uh, any lingering animosity, because I do think those guys have been um, gone out of their way here in the last few days to really compliment what I'm wearing, almost to a, <laughs> a level that I'm, I'm willing to let this go a little bit and, and move on. So uh, basically, my wife works at Norsom, so I should have a better handle on too many sequences, too many patterns, maybe too much going on. But I do feel like in a sideline reporter, you can you know push the envelope just a little bit. And I really didn't think about it that much, um, what I was wearing in the Orlando game, but apparently it caught the attention of the Miller Time podcast. And Pat, I thank you for, for having my back. <laughs> well, those first of all, I it was all in, in good fun. And, and those guys, I, I follow the Miller Time podcast Twitter account, and it's one of the more entertaining Twitter accounts. Uh, they they just got a little too trolly for my likes uh, they, in that specific game. They they were they didn't like how you referred to a Paul George dunk previously, and because uh, it was it was coming. Oh off yeah, it wasn't just the suit. I mean, yeah, they were yeah. criticizing they were, they're, the they're fact that I, I gave my own nick. I gave my uh, nickname to uh, that night. We were reliving the top five or the top three dunks in Paul George's career. So I thought you know dunking over Birdman. 
Bye-bye Birdie's coming back uh, in the news a little bit, coming back on TV or Netflix or something. So I call it Bye-bye Birdman, and I was notified that it's just the Birdman dunk. So between that and the criticism of the jacket, and then a few people came up with their own little uh, Snapchat filters to, to, to put on top of my outfit, I had a good time with it. <laughs> that actually was hilarious. <laughs> no hard feelings, and uh, you know, if they, I'm glad that you had my back, though. It's an entertaining account, I think, the Miller Time. But they, they tweeted out yesterday, um, or maybe it was two days ago, here's what the Eastern Conference standings would look like if every team was Paul George with a monkey on his shoulder. <laughs> and so instead of the, the team listed in the standings, they had eight pictures of, of Paul George with a monkey on his shoulder. I don't know, randomness, randomness like that I find uh, entertaining. But... Uh, yeah, if if those of you saw it, there was uh, there was there's no animosity. The air is cleared. There's you know it's nothing serious. And uh, and, and I, we got to wrap this one up because we try to stay right at this fifty minutes to one hour uh, podcast. But I'm disappointed you were unable to join us for the Lavoy Allen post game celebration over the weekend. <laughs> you could probably fill a podcast solely on the Lavoy Allen. Uh, experience in that one. By the way, how many sidelines? Because we guys- talked extensively about Lavoy Allen last yeah. week, and then it was almost like he one upped himself. Well, how often? How often does a player on live TV invite a reporter out for his birthday celebration? That's props. Thanks. Yeah, Lavoy Allen's an interesting guy, and you know there are times that over his career. Given the fact, sometimes I'll try to fist bump him in the elevator or on the airplane, and he, you know, does the old too slow and pulls it back and leaves me hanging. And maybe there are times I try to interview him and I get the one-word answer treatment, which maybe it's a bad question. So there are times I'm not sure where I stand with Lavoy, but I think that it's we've come to a pretty good spot in our relationship right now. And I was glad to help him celebrate his birthday. And how could you have a better birthday? For that guy to have the double double, yeah. 18 points, 11 rebounds, not 10, as he correctly uh, corrected me, and then uh, <laughs> was able to enjoy uh, some fun afterwards as well. Yeah, Lavoie's always a character. Um, that that game on Saturday is going to be on a back to back for Indiana. They host the Bucks. The Bucks, if you, you know, they were they were the the darling team for a long time in the early part of the season, but they've really struggled lately. Uh, Adetokounmpo slowed down a little bit. I, I saw, I think, uh, Jabari Parker coming off slow with a, potentially an injury. They lost to Miami on Wednesday. Uh, so the Bucks, since Monday, on January the 23rd, the Bucks were 21-23, and 23, and now they're 22-29. and 29. So they're 1-6 and six in their last seven. And at 22-29, and 29, again, you can't count teams out just yet, it's too early uh, to count teams out, and Miami is a fantastic example of that. Miami's knocking on the door of the playoffs. They've won 12 in a row. That's unbelievable. Uh, but at 22 and 29, they're going to play the Lakers on Friday, so they're, they'll, they'll be on a back-to-back as well. I'm not saying it's a nail-in-coffin game, but for the Bucks, they've got to start winning, and they've got to do it soon if they want to contend for a playoff spot. Now seven games under 500, and, and you might see a desperate team inside Bankers Life Fieldhouse on Saturday. You might, and that's why uh, when we looked at this schedule of teams with above 500 records maybe a week or two ago, that was the one game against a team that did not have a winning record. And if you just if you didn't know anything else that was going on that weekend and you saw it was the second half of a back-to-back and you saw the opportunity for maybe a letdown, it becomes a scary game. But we've already 
discuss what an atmosphere it should be in the field house. So sellout crowd, the 90s decade night. And while it's the second half of the Pacers back-to-back, I did check Milwaukee's schedule, and I think they play the Lakers at home on Friday, so it'll be the second half of a back-to-back for them. They will probably, possibly, you know, they could get to Indianapolis a little bit before the Pacers because the Pacers will be playing an 8 o'clock start in, in D.C. So they'll be both arriving into town about the same time, but I like the back-to-backs when both teams are the same. I, you know, I know it's impossible to set the schedule up perfectly, but I, I think it does level the playing field just a little bit, and it did help a little bit when the Pacers were playing the Pistons last weekend. They've now won the last two times on the second half of the back-to-back, and they've swept both halves of the last two back-to-backs, but both the Pacers and Pistons had played uh, the night before. And so that's a situation and a scenario for Saturday. So the Bucks game was scary. The Bucks dominated the Pacers, I thought, in Milwaukee earlier in the season. But Jabari Parker, unknown about his status, he went down with a knee injury in uh, their game last night against Miami. So I, everything that surrounds the game, I think you won't have a letdown from the Pacers. And I, I think it's a, it should be a great night at the Fieldhouse. So should be a great weekend. And uh, it's a furious finish to the uh, pre-All-Star break or the games before the All-Star break. I think Chris said it last night, and I said seven games in 11 days. So it's a very busy schedule. And I think the goal is to finish strong because you had that momentum in the seven-game winning streak. You lose to the Cavs. You still got an opportunity here to go into the break feeling really good about yourselves. At the other end, if you lose four or five of these games here before the break, then maybe you go into the break thinking, ah, maybe maybe that was fool's gold. So I do think this is a really, really important week for this team. Yeah, the All-Star break is coming up in about a week, and before it happens, the Pacers will play the Wizards twice, the Cavs again, and the Spurs. The schedule's definitely difficult, Uh, but first, Indiana has Washington on Friday. Saturday, we mentioned it's 90s night at the Fieldhouse. The Bucks are in town. 90s night is the headliner, but do you also know uh, what Saturday, Feb 11 is, besides 90s night? Um... Pat Boylan autographs after the game. Is that what it is? <laughs> it's meet, Pacers, meet, meet and greet with Pat Boylan. It's it's Pacers red at night. And by the way... Uh, well, that's basically the same thing, right? Uh, well, it's, the, sub, the subject was incorrect in your previous statement. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, but those guys, and I want to give them a shout out, and we've done this a few and times. And gals, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they proverbially balled out with this night. Uh, They've they bought a ton of tickets... <laughs> They've gone all out. I've been so impressed. I was worried. So we've got our, you know, our ticket guy, and we're not going to go too deep down that rabbit hole again, who's helped set this up and done a fantastic job. And for a while, tickets weren't selling. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. And then all of a sudden, uh, like a, a fellow procrastinators, the tickets this week have come flying in by the, almost by the dozens uh, so that, that'll be fun, and I think we're going to get a chance to maybe meet up with a couple of them after the game Saturday. So, hey, you can't beat it. It's a night where you honor Reggie Miller and, and Reddit. Those are like two of the five coolest things on the planet, right? And to meet Pat Boylan is also in that top five list. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I cannot imagine what could be a better night for some of these guys and gals. We appreciate them following the podcast. We look forward to meeting them and hope they enjoy the game. Um, it was nice for you and uh, um, your quote-unquote ticket guy to plan this around the Reggie Miller bobblehead night because that <laughs> maybe did help a few people uh, decide to uh, 
push them all, you know, across the line to say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get those tickets. Um, but we look forward to it. We thank you for, you know, and the Reddit page is impressive. It's a good place to go and share some thoughts on the team and, and what you've seen. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a fan of anybody that is a fan. So we appreciate those guys for following, guys and gals, and we look forward to meeting them on Saturday. And if, if you're sitting at home and you can't get out Saturday, just reach out to Pat and ask him if, uh, you know, maybe he wants to plan another one of these nights because I'm guessing in <laughs> whoa, one of his whoa, whoa. In, in one of his many night is one of his many jobs at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. He could be like ticket sales assistant and he can mm-hmm. help uh, plan pl- plan future group sales outings. So um, you know how to find Pat on Twitter, and if you'd like to uh, plan your own group outing, um, I'm sure Pat can help you. I want like a full time job in ticket sales. I mean, this Reddit group I think has shown enough that. I actually don't want a full-time job in ticket sales. Those guys work really, really hard. I mean, we work hard in long nights, but uh, that's an area of expertise that is not mine. But uh, the, the Reddit people are making me look like I'm a good salesman, so that's that's pretty cool. What about all the people that go to those specific businesses uh, after listening to your radio ads? I mean, I'm, I think that you're doing a pretty good job. <laughs> Pat Borland uh, sent me. Yeah, well, I, you get everybody going to... Uh, what are you, Embassy Suites? I mean, you're on our radio broadcast as much as I am. You're you, Embassy Suites and Indiana, uh, the trap. But my name's not on there, so no. you know, it's, I'm just a, I'm just a voice. So okay. luckily for you, you were able to uh, you were able to, to figure out who was on there. And the good news is, I think the two spots currently running are Indiana Grand Hoosier Park and Embassy Suites, both businesses that I have frequented at a time or two at different points in my life, sometimes more than others. So I can speak from experience. I am a true um, endorser of those um, businesses. So at least it fits. The game against Washington is Friday night. You are headed there soon. Uh, Safe travels, 8 o'clock. No, it is a a little bit of a later start. So the pregame show on Fox Sports Indiana and across the Bankers Life Radio Network will start at 7.30 on Friday night, and then a back-to-back, Pacers-Milwaukee, 90s night at the Fieldhouse, Pacers.com slash tickets, 7 o'clock start against the Bucks. I think this about wraps up this edition of the Sideline Guys podcast. Any final thoughts on your end? No, I think I think we pretty much covered it. So I uh, hope everyone has a great weekend, and I uh, hope the snow melts a little bit. And uh, I don't mind a little bit of snow, but I, I'd rather get back to the 50s and 60s. <laughs> I'm with you. We'll talk to you next week on the Sideline Guys podcast.